0: For October 7th, 2019, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 588 Le Goose c'est moi. Overthinking it, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are uh, hanging out with one another, talking about the things that interest us. Uh, I'm Matt Rather, and I am here with my good friends, Peter Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Hello, Matthew. And joining the podcast, it's Jordan Stokes. Hey, Jordan. How's it going? Uh, It's going very well, except these are dark times indeed. This week on the podcast, the whole country is talking about a white-faced sociopath. Wreaking havoc on the social order, solitary, maladjusted, driven by psychopathology or isolation, poor socialization, or just pure evil. It's it's repetitive, honking sound like some sort of laugh of uh, uh, what exactly of of derision, of misanthropy, and uh, this week there's been so much useless ink spilled with criticisms and counter-criticisms, think pieces and counter-thing pieces, praising this work's form and decrying its content, its potential bad effect on impressionable young minds. Now, here in a world where we continually wonder about the effects of our violent entertainments on our children and ourselves, when we wonder if seeing fake hurt on screen somehow desensitizes us to the real hurt we suffer or observe, in the actual world, when we face every day a breakdown of the social order which rivals anything in any form of entertainment, uh, anything that any form of entertainment could possibly show to us as far as a breakdown of the social order, can we truly, as a culture, afford even to enjoy Untitled Goose Game? (laughs)
1: <laughs> Yo, man, was that was that all off the dome or did you have a script written down <laughs> no,
0: I, I i i confess i wrote it for five minutes before we started the
2: podcast <laughs> hey matt you ever dance with the goose game in the pale moonlight <laughs>
0: I I ask that of all of all my my prey. I just like the sound of it. No, I, I knew I wanted to. Uh, I knew that in order to really make that to make that joke pay, it would have to be, uh, you know, it would have to go pretty smoothly. Yeah. Uh, you know what? We didn't want to go watch Joker because the world is depressing enough. <laughs> no no one wanted to, like, put their soul on the line in a dark movie theater, take off their shoe, and then just, like, uh, uh, pound it. Pound their soul with their own shoe for, like, two and a half hours. No one wanted that. So we're talking about Untitled Goose Game, which, if anything, is darker. Now, <laughs> what, what is... Uh, the goose game and why is it untitled Pete this was your idea to bring this to the podcast uh, so uh, yes, why, yes. Don't, why don't you set us up a little bit with, uh, with what even is uh, a goose game and why does this one have no name
2: so the Untitled Goose Game is an independent game made by a developer called House House and published by Panic, uh, which is is has it, you it might only have merely been something of a meme or a curiosity or a novelty like so many other games with a, a sort of overly deconstructive premise uh, that have come before it. But this one really broke through, and it broke through for a bunch of reasons. But the big thing to keep in mind is this was the number one game on the Nintendo Switch this month. Uh, I purchased it with my wife uh, last weekend because we were looking for something uh, something to do together on the video game console and it was only something like fifteen dollars and i had heard about it right and i'd been interested and in the subsequent week i have seen so many expressions about this game in memes and across the internet and people getting really excited about it and i do think a lot of people have been playing it so i would say that even though it is not you know the most, uh, the number is it? Did Joker get number one movie in America? Oh yeah. Or is yes. it? Is it still the Goldfinch? No, it's uh, we're only got one bird on this podcast, and it's the Untitled Goose Game. Uh, even though maybe I, I would venture to say that the Untitled Goose Game is as important a cultural phenomenon in terms of the pop culture moment as Joker is, and that it has loomed large in recent weeks as well. If you have not played it, uh, you can play it on Switch. You can play it on PC. You can play it on Mac we'll probably spoil parts of it here it's not long uh, there's there's sort of a first quest and a second quest and i don't think a lot of people do the second quest the first the first ending is very satisfying and then uh and and it's it's a, it's a, it's a jaunt of a few hours that you can play through it and and the basic gist of the game is that you play a goose and as a goose, you have only real rudimentary actions that you can take in terms of what the buttons do. You can walk. You can honk. You can you can flap your wings in sort of a suggestive gestural manner. But you can't fly. Uh, and uh, and and then you can kind of duck your head down. <laughs> right. Those, those are pretty much the main things that you can do. Wait, and wait. You
1: hang on. Yep. You can pick things up and drag them around. That's very important. <laughs>
2: you didn't say it. <laughs> well, there you've hit on it, Jordan, haven't you? You can pick things up and move them around, and you venture into a small English village with a to-do list written on loose-leaf paper, I suppose, of, cursive, of uh, things you're trying to accomplish. What's up?
3: Very importantly, in cursive.
2: In cursive. In cursive. A to-do list written in cursive on loose leaf that you, the player, can refer to uh, of of tasks that you're attempting to accomplish, some of which are very direct, such as, you know, have a picnic with a sandwich and uh, an apple and a bunch of, you know, and all this stuff on the picnic blanket. Some of them are more abstract, which would be uh, what, like, um, you know— Make 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 someone put on someone else's glasses or something like that, mm-hmm. or like make someone pay for something that they already bought, right? Uh, uh, and so, leave the European Union. That's the yeah. real <laughs> top one, exactly. Goose Who, ex- exit. <laughs> yes, for real, for real. Uh, so yeah, so it's a fun game. It's relatively short. I really loved it, and it's got cool elements of a variety of different dimensions, and it's really captured the imagination of a lot of people. And I have I've asked the three other gentlemen joining us on the panel today if they might uh, also have purchased and play this game along with me so that we may all discuss it uh it's a game to play that's good to play with someone uh so one person can play the other person can watch and laugh uh and it is it is a good time and is largely morally bankrupt (laughs) so although i will say you don't cause permanent damage mostly right the things that you do as the goose are kind of temporary and the people who do not talk and have no faces follow you around if if they notice you and put back whatever it is that you take. And you can't really get within a certain distance of them. They're much taller than you, much stronger than you, and them kind of pushing you around is really their, their only way of uh, – of interacting with you, kind of making you drop things and forcing you out of areas, which you can then, of course, figure out a new way to sneak into through that hole in the fence and so on and so forth. So that's the Goose Game. That's what it is. Uh, Why is it untitled? Maybe I'll cede the floor to somebody who uh, would like to address that lovely question.
3: Um, I'll try. The the lowest hanging fruit answer, I think, is to lower expectations, Um, which is perverse because um, by the time that I got around to playing this, my expectations got very high for this game and when i sat down and played it and like i'll be honest like you know didn't like get as big of a kick out of it It seems like the rest of the internet did um I, I was a little bit disappointed um but that's my short answer is to just to, to kind of create your expectations and say like this is like the whole thing is a frivolous endeavor and you shouldn't take it all too seriously but pays 15 and gives a few hours of your life all right so an
2: alternative alternate theory for why it's called Untitled Goose Game, I, I don't know. I guess I'm sorry that you didn't have as good a time with the goose. Maybe I did hype oh, it up did, too Pete, much. You don't have to, you don't have to apologize, Pete. You're not. You no, I just game. feel like if I reduced your ability to enjoy this game by praising it too much, so it was less of a surprise. Oh no, 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 Pete, it wasn't it's you. I, it, it, it wasn't
3: you. Like I read, I read the same tweets and saw the same memes as you did, um, and I probably would have would have tried this out out of curiosity uh, had were we were not discussing this on the podcast. So sorry, so, continue. So
2: another idea of why the Goose Game is Untitled i would propose is that the game while the game does have some amount of language in it with regards to your loose leaf paper that has your to-do list on it the the goose game exists in a world without language uh and nobody talks and you as the goose can only express yourself through your kind of basic motions And so for me, the feeling of it being an untitled goose game, while, yes, it does kind of undersell the game and indicate that the game is not overly serious and does not set the expectation that this is going to be a triple A title with, you know, DLCs. Maybe it'll have DLCs for sure. But it's like you're not jumping in here and taking out Muammar Gaddafi from a helicopter. What? It's got loot boxes. (laughs) (laughs) goose boxes Uh, but but like you go in there and you're i think part of the elegance of the game is that people who have an intuitive understanding of how geese behave take to it very quickly and and like okay like you you see things and you honk at them you see food and you try to get it and maybe you maybe you want to eat it maybe you just want to get it but it's like the same impulses that do you guys have young childhood formative goose memories? Like the first time you encountered a goose? Because a goose is very different from most animals that children encounter in in uh, various environments for a couple of important reasons,
0: right? I, I mean, I um, remember what, the first time I encountered no. one on a plate.
2: <laughs> well, it's somewhat here, an aristocrat. Do I have
1: childhood formative goose memories? is a question I've just been asked. No, yes. I don't. don't? <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that's a thing you're supposed to have in your childhood. I don't think that everyone's like, "Ah, yes, the first time I encountered a goose was Christmas and
2: uh, you know." Well, no, but that's because they're not wistful, they're vicious, right? That's the, the deal <laughs> with a goose. Is that a goose It was it was in Benghazi. It was in <laughs> <laughs> Libya campaign. <Are> there- <laughs> The goose is probably the most hostile, non-nocturnal animal that is generally allowed to roam free in human habitations and encounter children, is my, is my experience, right? Like, like, yeah, you could have a coyote, but those will mostly be around at night, I think. Raccoons, possums. Uh, but in terms of, like, a thickly settled area with a heavy human population— um, like maybe you'll run into a turkey and that would be crazy, right? Although near me, there's definitely a bunch of turkeys. Uh, but geese, yeah, as a child- it's not
0: a nice way to refer to your neighbors.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but look, as a child, you're taught the animals are nice and you're taught to imitate their sounds and you're taught to point at them and be like, wow. And any animal that's actually dangerous is separated from you by some sort of enclosure. Uh, and And a goose, though, you can go right up to it and it will bite your hand. Uh, right. Like it, it'll sit there. It'll do nothing. And if you bother it, it'll like make a noise at you and it will bite you. Um, and it won't necessarily hurt. But it's like, wow. You know, it's your first little tidbit of nature being, if not red tooth and claw, like at least a little pink. Right. Like it, <laughs> nature. It's not that nature hates you and wants to destroy you, but it's that it really can't be bothered. A goose is a big evil duck. Although when you learn out more about <laughs> ducks, you learn about their <laughs> private evil. Right. But it's like, I don't know, maybe this is just because I, you know, we had a public pond that was on kind of major Canadian goose migratory patterns or something. But I have like very clear memories of goose being ornery mofos, uh, geeses. Um, I mean, I love geeses to pieces, but they they will bite you. They will cause problems. And and being taught the difference between a duck, which you can generally kind of like go next to and it will bother you. And a goose, which you kind of have to steer clear of, is like was kind of an important initial experience of like classifying and understanding what the world is like for me. So maybe I took to the goose game because I have a, a goose phantasmagoria, like rattling around inside my brain. You have,
0: you're, I mean, so you're, yeah. you're a sufferer of of you know goose trauma, right?
2: Like,
0: <laughs> goose, well, okay, so for you, you, you have, guys, you this, have goose, this, goose, goose traumatic stress disorder. That's right, right, um, right, yeah. I mean, I you know I got hissed at at a pond at like a park, you know, by a goose, but I I didn't like I I was a timid indoor child and I did not provoke the goose because I, you know, um I realized that it was dangerous from its its many its many threatening sounds. But uh but yeah, I mean, I I guess but like here here the fantasy is like you are, you know, le goose semois. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, and I think uh, this is yeah. Yeah. I think
1: this is interesting because you said, Pete, that if you have a clear idea of what geese are like, you take to this game real quick. And I think there there is a sense of that in, in some degree, because one of the initial pieces of press that was released, uh, they said, like, uh, it's a lovely day in the village and you are a terrible goose. And I had this sense immediately of like knowing what a terrible goose would be, and it's it's going to be running around and trampling the flower beds and stealing food and stuff like that, right? And scaring children. And I thought, oh, that would be fun for a game. But actual geese, like if you were an ornithologist who studies geese, I don't think that you would understand this game so much because the, the goose that frightens you at the pond when you are small Pete Fenzel isn't doing it for no reason. It's territorial, <laughs> right? Like it, it's guarding, it's guarding its snails and its mate from you, this this large featherless goose that is for some reason stepping up in its turf, right? Uh, whereas the goose in the goose game has much more inscrutable uh,
2: motivations, right? Would you think that the goose in the goose game thinks that the village is its home, and that the other people that are in the village are an annoyance to it, rather than it being an annoyance to them? well i think actually i uh so i
1: played through the game over the past week and then i started up the beginning just before the call cuz i wanted to check something what i think is great about the game is the degree to which it tells stories without without recourse to language and it does a very clever thing right at the start so first of all spoilers now for untitled goose game <laughs> it's Kong worth Kong. it's worth doing this because like so right at the end When you realize that, in fact, the goose has been like collecting bells and piling them up in that ditch, that's a great reveal. Like, I I literally laughed out loud alone in a room, which is not something that one would normally do when I suddenly realize it's kind of like at the end of Psycho when you realize that there's like cars piled on cars at the bottom of that swamp. Um, But I I suppose I should have said spoiler alert for Psycho, too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's priorities. Priorities, Jordan. You don't want to spoil the goose game.
1: People have had time to see Psycho. (laughs) But uh, so, right. Right at the start, when, like, you're first being told how to how to control your goose and everything, you come up in the woods, and you go into, like, the next little screen, and there's litter everywhere. There's, like, a, an old empty beer can on the ground. So there's this, like, whiff of a suggestion that, oh, the people have encroached on the goose's habitat. This is about, like, environmentalist revenge. And then it's revealed after everything that no the, the goose is doing this because it wants to steal bells we're not quite sure why it wants
2: to steal bells but it is a heist that is why the goose is doing what it's doing right right and many many bells like so so through, if you're still listening and you didn't play through the game the idea is that you you steal a bell from like a model of the town which is sort of the kind of uh, back-to-the-future clock tower kind of or object that represents the sort of heart and soul and center of the town. And when you bring it back to your lair with the whole village trying to stop you, you find that you have countless other bells, which could also further suggest that you've done everything on your to-do list before many, many times, right? That this is sort of like one time of many that the goose has ventured upon what you what he's just ende- endeavored upon. And this is this sort of endless cycle. Uh, and really, one must, one must imagine Untitled Goose happy, because there's really no <laughs> no reason to believe that he's unhappy with the situation. <laughs> <laughs> that this is just how it works is the goose goes around and he like steals sufficient things to get, to convince people to unlock sufficient gates and kind of allow him to progress through the village to the point that he can steal the most precious object he thinks exists in the whole town and bring it back to his lair where he sits atop it. Like a triumphant smog, <laughs> just like uh just smug legal. Like would the goose be voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm not sure the answer is No, probably not but uh but yeah it's uh, it's that kind it's that kind of experience it's that kind of adventure yeah. so so for you jordan the ecological angle kind of gets set up but then undermined yeah
1: i think that right at the beginning they kind
2: of do that to to suggest
1: that you there is a moral reason why the goose is doing this and then pretty quickly you just sort of get lost in in the puzzle game aspect of it so once you realize that you have a to-do list which mm-hmm. I think that that's the one command that they don't tell you at the start. Like, I I was playing it on a Mac, and they tell you, like, okay, so you do this to honk, you do this to walk, you do this to pick things up and to duck, Um, and you don't realize (laughs) you have a to-do list. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think they say to crouch down, actually, in the game, so it's not to to break the simulation. It's (laughs) only after you have kind of just through exploring uh, done something like broken into the the garden or gotten the gardener uh, to soak himself with the sprinkler that suddenly the to-do list pops up. Right. Uh, And then once you realize that you have a game like objectives, you just start playing the game and the and the point is just to do all the objectives and kind of where the to do list leads you there you go but then, when at the end, like so you encounter the bell, and it seems like stealing the bell is just like, well, this is the last thing on the list. Uh, every time we've gone to a new place, we've been given new mischief to cause. Here's the biggest bit of mischief. But then, upon realizing that you have uh, this, like, you know, end of uh, end of the prestige thing, where like here is the the giant underbelly, all of these bells piled up upon each other. You realize that no, that's what the goose went in there for. Like the goose, mm-hmm. you didn't know starting out that this was about the bell but it was always about the bell
0: yeah some some geese just want to watch the world burn (laughs) um but do
2: you match do you want to watch the world burn like did
0: you did you i I played the goose game did you know didn't i i mean of course I, i i want to watch the i sort of want to watch the world burn a little bit i mean i'm like i'm i'm interested in the goose and its relationship to other forms of, of like literary or, uh, or video game literary mischief, right? Um, and actually like the, the sort of the, uh, animal sociopath that comes to mind most right now, just as we, as we talk about it, is the cat in the hat. Uh, mm. and the cat in the hat's kind of quest to, um, undermine domesticity right, and so like rather than in a kind of agrarian not agrarian what 's the word I want like bucolic right uh, sort of outdoor scenario um, it, you know the 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 realm of the cat in the hat is the home um, and is like uh, you know the cat in the hat is the the sort of psychic um, compensatory mechanism that the children have uh, those those uh, uh, you know those two children, Sally and me, um, who, wh- while while their mother has abandoned them, uh, alone. Uh, you know, un, unsupervised, uncared for, while she, uh, you know, endeavors upon what we can only presume is some sort of erotic errand. Um, and we 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 learn in the Cat in the Hat comes back that that uh, the mom and the dad don't don't share a bedroom, so you know there there's a real trouble um, in in the home that the Cat in the Hat is it takes place in, right? Like that, uh, you know, the, that the cat is sort of an agent of. Uh, of kind of an agent of gleeful disorder, uh, just for the sake of it. Though I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to suggest that there is a, a kind of hidden psychic desperation at the root of what the the cat in the hat does, whereas the goose seems to act only uh, because he's an asshole, and or you know like. <laughs> <laughs> like or like spells or whatever, you know. The the like it seems like there's there's so the the goose is a lot it, more. It's trolling. quite
2: a, it's quite a, uh, it's quite an anthropomorphic suggestion that the natural setting for a rake is not in the lake. Like you're really making <laughs> yeah. an assumption there that the world should be made for humans.
0: <laughs> I guess. I mean, I mean, I think you can. I mean, I don't know. It's in in the Cat in the Hat, the 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 proper disposition of a of a rake is with a cake. Not in the <laughs>
1: lake. <laughs> I think that you can definitely do a Freudian reading of Goose Game, but it's it's less of an Oedipal phase thing and more of an anal phase thing <laughs> because the, um, the all goose, of the villagers the is
0: polymorphously perverse.
1: <laughs> well, no, because all of the villagers want order. Right. That's that's sort of the nature of the the A.I. that they're programmed with. If you drag anything out of place, they will all notice it and drag it back into that place. So they want that order. And then the goose sort of is an agent of chaos. It goes in and disrupts that order. Uh, mm. It seems to be kind of the the level of the, the mechanism there.
2: Yep. But as long as it's all part of the plan, that everybody's fine with it. Do you want to see how I got these scars? Honk, honk, honk. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. So. <laughs> i i would liken it i liken it to uh peter rabbit and benjamin bunny a little bit and, and the sort of relationship the sort of farmer mcgregor figure like transforming the gardener into the enemy of things that like gardens right is this sort of weird uh translocation of all that right like that that benjamin bunny and and peter rabbit go into farmer mcgregor's garden and to get the vegetables because they're rabbits and they want to eat vegetables. And and in the case of Peter Rabbit, you know, he is put in mortal danger because he loses his coat and he's scared. He gets caught practically. And then with Benjamin Bunny, he's sort of like, yeah, whatever. I can go out there whenever I want and get in. the. And I'm I'm locking up cats and I'm stealing onions and I'm being and then I, my father comes and bails me out. Um, but yeah, that, that whole that whole anal phase thing really resonated with me in, in your interpretation of the of the, of the game and that like that there's something too orderly about the village and the fact that you can move you can pick up a, a knife and uh, like a butter knife or a kitchen or like an eating knife and you drop it on the ground and the bartender lady will walk over to pick up the knife. And when she does, you can like fill up overflow the sink and like steal her things or like throw a bucket off of a a 10 foot ledge onto somebody else's head because she was so obsessed with the little detail that you distracted her from the big details it seems to be kind of a big part of the of figuring out how this game works like the the moral flaw of the people in this game is that they care so much about the little things like if you move the gardener's spade over he'll go and get it and then you can steal his rake, right? Or you know, and it's—I mean, it's a little bit more complicated than that. I mean, it's rake in a lake. It's not. It's no like kitty stuff. We're talking about a serious gaming objective here. Yeah. Um, but, uh... <laughs> but yeah, and I feel like,
1: in, in, to me, I think that a really interesting question to ask would be, did you all enjoy this game and why? But for me, I enjoyed it the more, the more that I could believe that um, that these were actual people that the reason that the woman was like reaching over to get the butter knife is not because well I figured out how this uh, how this mob works you know and I can uh, I can like kite her over this way and uh, if I put this bait here then they will go there and I can move here it, it sort of stops being fun but if I think oh she's like she wants that knife so much if I can believe <laughs> for a moment that uh, that like that not that like fictionally the goose is being an asshole but that I am actually being an asshole to someone who would be bothered
2: by it like that was the thing that that made it work for me and made it kind of come alive like like that you're seeking out things to do that have an emotional impact that that like uh like how did you guys solve the the guy getting the bucket on his head um like how did you do that we we, we agonized over that one for a while but like how did you figure that one out
1: um, I mean, I can go. I, I thought that I was being really clever. I brought the walkie-talkies all the way over to that map and uh, tried to tried to get him there using the walkie-talkie, and it, it seemed like it should work, but it didn't, and then eventually, I, uh, in the process of doing that, I accidentally knocked over the apple apples that were there, and that seemed to get him right into the right position. So then as he was trying to put the apples away, I bucketed him. Gotcha. I thought there How were tomatoes, you? but maybe they were
2: apples. Yeah, no, it is. Well, I think we eventually ended up with sort of a Looney Tunes trail of tomatoes to get him to go like one by one and follow the tomatoes to the tomato box. And it, it was fantastic. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> cause, cause I tried, we tried to lure him with this, a tomato here or a tomato there, and it was hard to get him to come far enough. And so setting up that sort of, I was wondering whether you had to set up the trail of tomatoes or whether you could get him with like a little bit less than that. So it was sort of like, and I thought maybe if you move the red bucket to a place where he has to bring it back, he'll notice that there are tomatoes on the ground. But it turned out that sort of appealing almost to this Looney Tunes trope that that we all kind of resonate with in kind of a feeling sort of way. That seemed to sort of be the elegance of the game, too, which is like you do things that would be annoying, uh, right? Like, uh, you know, even even to the extent of like making the guy cut his his prize rose right so that he like bends over and then you can untie his shoes or steal his hat right like there's there's like levels of humiliation that you put the people through and part of figuring the game out is is figuring out what would be more humiliating from the thing that you've already done um and playing that little part so yeah you do have to participate i think i mean maybe you could probably play the game as a sort of metal gear solid detached sort of stealth game but playing it as if you're emotionally interacting with these faceless people uh, it definitely seems to be part of it.
3: So so you guys talking about the, the depth and, and the cleverness of the game, it's it, it's all good to hear. And it'll get me to go back and, and motivate me to go back and finish it. But as I mentioned before, like, I wasn't quite as taken with it. Um, and I, I'm realizing what uh, the obstacle was. And this might be an interesting uh, jumping off point because uh, sort of like video games were large. Is that like something about the controls I found to be clunky? Like, you know, talking about manipulating the objects and putting did them in watch, the right place. Did you
0: play and, on the Mac? Because I found it, it, was this, it was the same thing I, for me. It was super frustrating.
3: No, it wasn't just – I I started out on my laptop, and then I actually plugged in, like, you know, the, the keyboard and mouse, um, which made it a little bit better, but still made it a little bit difficult. Um, and I, I think part of why I got a little bit frustrated with it um, is – Uh, partly my own individual context, but maybe sort of broadly how it fits into video games, which is that um, I recently came off of uh, the most recent, like, you know, true quote unquote video game that I finished playing was Far Cry. (laughs) For those who don't remember, this is like a seminal first person shooter from the, um, uh, from the, uh, from what the the middle of the aughts, right? Right. Um, Which by the way, you also hit tab to pull up a to-do list. Um, I think the similarities (laughs) kind of, and there, but anyway, like uh, I was in a mindset of um, looking for uh, having a video game expectation of something more kinetic, more I guess I don't know like violent and destructive, and uh, and less sort of pastoral and contemplative that Untitled uh, Goose Game turned out to be. But it also made me uh, I think going into this game I thought it was going to be much more like Goat Simulator uh, uh-huh. than this uh, slower paced puzzle game. And Pete, I think you you have some thoughts about how. Goat Simulator and other um, sort of puzzly and I guess trolly, for lack of a better word, games um, have have brought us to this seminal moment of Untitled Goose Game.
2: Well, well, you're the only one here who's actually played Goat Simulator. I know the memes and I've seen the videos uh, including that video that Jordan pointed out we were talking about beforehand. It's like the trailer to Goat Simulator that's the parody of the Dead Island trailer and it's mm-hmm. just like, it's just video games mm-hmm. all the way down. But why don't you tell people what goat simulator is from your experience of playing and that's a game from like 2014 so you have yeah, to go back yeah. or is it 2015
3: Yeah. Like that. and it was definitely like haha this is a joke and it was like you know taking this idea of um the sort of the, the kinetic action game i guess really like grand theft auto is the direct lineage of of, of goats so, so imagine grand theft auto and except uh instead of being a criminal on various missions driving around cars you're just a goat and you move around an open world, like a 3D, uh, more photorealistic world than Untitled Goose Game, and you just wreak havoc, right? Your controls, you you, you 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 run around, you use your horns to butt objects and people, make things blow up, cause chaos, so on and so forth. That's the basic right. gist of it. You don't play it for that long. Um, there's, it is absolutely not a puzzle game. It is much more sort of an action game. Um, and I, I, let's put scare quotes around that. So that's, right. that, that is Goat Simulator.
2: Yeah. So the lineage is uh, Goat Simulator was made as a joke uh, by some developers who are working, who are basically trying to learn the Unreal Engine and had the kind of uh, uh, project that they did at work to where they put it together. And the idea that, OK, we'll simulate a goat. Right. Uh, and what do the goat do? First, it was going to be like Quap, and then it was going to be you control each of the legs of the goat. And that's the troll game. Right. Quap is the game where you use the Q button, the W button, the O button and the P button to operate the. Uh, hips and knees of a runner right trying to go 100 meters and it's like incredibly difficult to uh, coordinate a a human body going in that manner Uh, but then they changed it to be this sort of yeah grand theft auto tony hawk kind of open mischief game but i think it's worth noting that that goat simulator is also a parody of a subgenre of games that came out of europe in the late 2000s and early 2010s, uh, most notably represented by a company called Excalibur Publishing, uh, which did games such as Water Park Simulator, Farming Simulator, Street Cleaning Simulator, and most notably the uh, Bafo uh, Platinum-selling Euro Truck Simulator and Euro Truck Simulator 2, uh, which which are sort of like, you can think of them somehow some as, as related to early sorts of kind of non- traditional video game simulator stuff like either like stuff like AeroBiz, if you ever played those games, like kind of simulating businesses and simulating like like Wall Street Kid and simulating trading and stuff. Or you can also th- think of it as sort of like SimCity, right? Where you're sort of managing things in real time. Or it's also similar to a flight simulator where you're, you know, you're in an airplane and flight simulators go way back because flying is not something that you could normally do. Uh, and the idea that driving a Euro truck is something that you could not normally do is both true and false, right? It's like, well, you can't do it. But if you had made different choices in your life up with at this point you might and the choices that you've made have generally been so you don't have to right like so it's like you didn't <laughs> seek you didn't seek to drive a euro truck and not make it you didn't have to give up your dream of driving a euro truck uh you know you basically made a bunch of decisions so you didn't drive a euro truck and now in your spare time you want to run that cargo trip you know between between paris and frankfurt right in in your uh, in your volvo uh, but the but this is also related to the game. I think the sort of linchpin of that whole thing is roller coaster tycoon after a fashion, which is kind of halfway between the Sim Cities of the world and the Euro Truck simulators of the world. Uh, and also the one that I can first remember people being really surprised was fun. Right. Like people like SimCity and they got it. Even things like Sim Earth or Sim Life, which were somewhat less successful, people understood what was going on. Sim Ant, if you liked it, you liked it, but it was like, okay, this is kind of a weird thing that's sort of educational. And then people get to rollercoaster, coaster coaster Tycoon, and they really like it. It's like, oh, okay. So there's this sort of like alternate video game audience that isn't doesn't want to shoot things, and you can get them to do stuff that's like that is fun for them, and but is not the usual sort of video game fun. Um, You know, a racing game where you're not driving on a track. Right. And you're not trying to murder people. Right. Um, And so on and so forth. And so goat simulator, the idea of being a simulator, like we're going to take something that's not normally a video game and we'll put you in its shoes and you will simulate that experience. uh, You know, it's like and you're going to be a goat. And it's like, well, what does the goat do? It's like, well, it causes mischief. Right. And so the core of what eventually becomes. Untitled Goose Game is kind of in there somewhere, but the idea is is so absurd that it's like blown out in a wild and crazy kind of skater punk way, uh, where the goat's got a jetpack and it's latching its tongue onto moving cars and it's crashing off of roofs and through windows and all sorts and blowing up gas stations and the goats doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And the goose game is sort of like if you take goat simulator, with this which is this sort of joke about what games aren't. Right. Like, oh, this isn't a game. You're just a goat. And it's like, well, we'll make it a game by having you trick off everything in the town and blow things up. Uh, But no, 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 no. Back that up. What if you were just a goat? Right. And and, and yeah. And it's like, okay, well, we have to add some game mechanics to it. And it's like and the idea of that the goose is involved in a stealth game, which locates it in the sort of like Tom and Jerry, Peter Rabbit, like animal is trying to escape being caught kind of genre of Of entertainment generally, um is kind of and then combining it with these sort of Metal Gear solid stealth elements uh, is what sort of brings it all together. Um, but that's the sort of lineage that we're dealing with, right? is that like there are games that are made to be trollish that became possibilities when game development technology became more generally accessible and you could afford to spend time on such things and especially publish them you know because you didn't have to print out hard copies of everything. you could distribute things through flash and other sorts of digital media that was really cheap. Um, and so there's that whole thing. And then there's this idea of traditional versus non-traditional subject matter for games and the idea that the video game audience is growing and now isn't just like raging hormone bro dudes drinking, you know, slugging back Mountain Dew like their President group's Norton Perrier in his office in in Spaceballs, right? It's like, uh, no, there's other kinds of people who want to like. All those people want to to go see Joker this weekend. Yeah, that's true. Instead (laughs) of the rest of us playing an untitled goose game. Exactly, exactly. So that's like the lineage, right? That's kind of, in, in my take, like where the Goose Game tradition comes from is the stealth game tradition and the sort of parody simulator tradition and this whole notion that the player of a video game doesn't have to want to do the things that a player of a video game would want to do, except maybe they do, right? Because the Goose is such a jerk. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that
1: this, this goes back to the question of the title, because it's not Untitled Goose Simulator. It is Untitled Goose Game. Mm-hmm. And there are, I think that actual game developers tend to find this kind of thing annoying, but there are people who are out there who are like game theorists, and the, one of the things that they will say is that, definitionally, a game needs to have a set of rules, and there needs to be a condition for victory. So, like, uh, if there's just a set of rules and no way to win, that's not a game. If there's a way to win, but there's no set of rules, well, that's war, you know, uh, and 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 Untitled horrible goose asymmetrical war. I will war. play that in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> the only the only true winner is, is goose, <laughs> but um, it, it does speak to something interesting about the nature of it that. Again, although there there is the bell, and the last mission where you are running through the town with the bell trying to get it back suddenly starts to feel a lot more game-like, the kind of sandboxy quality of the main bulk of the game uh, doesn't really feel like a game. It feels like a set of toys that you can play with, or like a space that you can explore. And what really makes it Like at its very best, what it gets is not a kind of game like enjoyment where I'm like, I want to win this. I want to, uh, to like accomplish this task right away, but rather a much more kind of, um, sensuous, I want to say, which is weird because so much of it is simplistic looking. But like where it's great is when. Uh there, there was a moment in the like the bar scene where you need to pull some guy's stool out as, about, as he's about to sit down on it. Right. And I was waiting for him to sit down and I was crouched down. And there's a very simple mechanic that they have, which is that if there is an object that the goose can grab with his beak, or her beak, I suppose, the goose will stick out their neck in that direction and open their mouth a little bit, waiting for you to press the button to grab it. And it moves in this very, very—I'm sure they they spent hours on this—this this very sort of organic way that seems to build the anticipation. And watching the goose kind of reach out its neck going like, ah uh uh, and then finding the moment to press the button and pull it away. It was, I mean, you know, this is weird to say, but that was a sensuous moment, right? It wasn't really game-like. If the goose didn't do that, I could have still played the game, and that would have been fine. But because they had that little sensuous moment there, that, like, that little bit of animation, basically, uh, there for one moment, I was an awful goose. And that, to me, is what makes this one kind of special.
3: I don't know. And if we're talking about sensuous moments of pleasure in this game that are embedded into small details of animation, we must talk about the waddle and how the goose's butt shakes in, like, a very cute and fun way, right? Isn't that a big part Absolutely. of the wheel of this game, right? The, Absolutely. The movement. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything, like, particularly deep to say beyond that. Like it's, <laughs> it's pretty, I like watching the, the goose walk around, but yeah. it was hard to control. I will, I will maintain that.
1: Out of Out of every game that I've ever played, where like there's a run button that you can hold down all the time if you want to, this is one of the very few where I would ever let go of the run button. and it's not because it's really uh, from a game point of view something that you would ever want to do, but because when the goose is running, it doesn't do that ridiculous waddle, and I wanted to see the waddle <laughs>
2: Well, you've talked about the sensuousness of the game, Jordan. Do you want to talk about the music a bit? Because I think the music has been really burning things down in the, uh, in the video game music scene, uh, as I understand it. And you're by far the most qualified person I know to talk about those sorts of scenes. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's
1: really, really fantastic. Um, so they didn't plan to have any music in this game at all. Um, And here I'm just I'm just reading a bunch of game articles online. This is not like me uh, scooping it or anything, but they they did a trailer where they put uh, some music from uh, one of Debussy's preludes underneath it. Uh, and the internet went nuts and they're like, please tell me that's the real music from the game please tell me that it actually reacts to the action in the way that that seems to and uh, they sort of went back to the guy who had written the sort of adapted the music for the trailer and said like, look, can you do this? <laughs> we probably ought to do this and they did, and apparently what they did they took a bunch of, uh, a bunch of Debussy music uh, Debussy solo piano music and uh, Dan Golding is the, I mean he's the credited composer, sort of <sighs> (sighs) Did he really write any music here? He adapted the music to the game. Certainly it was a creative task that he set out for himself. And the the solution they initially found is when the goose is nowhere near people, there is no sound except for the flapping of your webbed feet and the honking if you choose to honk. When the people are sort of in play, but they haven't noticed you yet and they're not chasing you, you would get this very, very slow and tentative version of these piano pieces, way more slow and tentative than you would actually play them in concert ever. And then if the people are... Being actively like if they are pratfalling because of something that you just did, or if they are chasing you because you have their sandwich and they want it back, then you get like a a fast, loud version of the piece that you might hear on a CD. But it's much more elaborate than that because they broke down each of these pieces into like 400 little snippets of music so that they would be able to have it organically sort of flip back and forth between the two different piano versions of the piece. And like, I, think that, I think that there's nothing actually more complicated than that. But inevitably, as you're playing, you'll get these incredible scripted-feeling moments where, like, I, I got one where in the, uh, in the sort of market square set, where you have the uh, the the dweeby boy with this, with the glasses who will run from you if you honk. Uh, and one of the things you need to do is steal his glasses. And I was like coming up behind him, uh, and like the music was playing the sort of the slow, soft version. And then just as I jumped up and snatched the glasses off his face, there's this little thing in the in the music where it goes, uh, that's just there in the piece, right? And I wasn't expecting it to come, because it's kind of the nature of the pieces, actually, of the C is that they're not super... Um they're not really teleological. Very often they have these kind of uh, ostinato patterns, and then like little musical things will pop into existence and pop back out. So I was just sneaking up on him, sneaking up on him, and then right at the moment that I grabbed it, it happened to be that that thing came there, and his shoelaces were untied, so he fell down as he tried to chase me. And the music like was was really loud, and again, for that moment, I was the goose. Now, you could spend a million years trying to program that exact thing to happen to somebody who is playing the game because everyone's going to need to steal his glasses. But I think that actually it basically is those three states – No sound, tentative sound, loud sound, and inevitably at some point during the game, if you're paying attention for these little micro narratives, everything, like all of the slot wheels will line up and it will feel as if it's this incredibly scripted little micro storytelling moment.
2: Right. Because it feels like a foghorn leghorn Looney Tunes kind of thing. Yeah. Where it's like it'll be pure gint and it'll be going really slowly and then somebody will run up and do something and then they'll get a bunch of more fast classical music. Uh, and it just feel it, I don't know. I wonder how much of it is just the fact that you remember the times when it really goes well and the times when it goes poorly. It's not like it stands out as being really bad that that like the harmonics of it seem to always generally work Now, is that because you're listening to the same piece and it's just being broken up into into chunks and the chunks are always played in the same order there's no association of a given action with a given music clip right it's like it's as, just as as you're I listening to piece these-
1: yeah, as far as I can tell, there's no association of a given action with a given music clip. I'm not totally sure if you actually are just going straight through the piece in linear order. It feels like they might sort of jump back and forth between sections, but uh, but but basically, yeah, it's it's sort of accidental when things happen to line
2: up. Right. And then what would be the sort of what would be a, a hot, for people less familiar a kind of high level headline style. Description of what exactly Debussy's music is kind of meant to evoke or doing. Like, what's it like to encounter Debussy music in in a sort of uh, very very high level way?
1: Yeah, man, that's that's a real deep kind of question, actually. Though, um, especially because the uh, the very first piece of music that you're going to hear, if you well, there's something else under the title screen, but when you're playing the game, the first music that you hear is actually a piano prelude called Minstrels, which is meant to be an evocation of the sound of the American minstrel show, which is something that debut scene was. Wow. Yeah, yeah. If so... you wanted
2: to figure out how this game is problematic, you just did. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> not about torturing children. It's about cultural influence, um, and
1: you know, and the so little. Little history moment here. Minstrel shows, which, of course, we all rightly think of as terrible, were for like most of the 19th century they were just like what American music was. So if you have a French composer in like the 19th century or early 20th century, like Debussy, who is writing a bunch of piano preludes that all sort of sound like various things. There's like his Spanish one, there's his Irish one. When he gets to the American one, that one is going to sound like minstrel show music. And then you could say, well, well, that's an unfortunate little coincidence. But actually, it sort of lines up with the lineage of everything else because, like. Bugs Bunny is very clearly meant to be a riff on Mickey Mouse and Mickey Mouse in like his original steamboat willie kind of art is very clearly meant to be like a minstrel show performer. So like all of this stuff is actually connected, um, and it's kind of baked into the history of American comedy in a way that we mostly just close our eyes and pretend isn't there because it's super gross and problematic. Uh, so if you're going to do something that is like slapstick cartoon animals, I don't know. I- I've heard some people who like have taught me about this stuff said that they couldn't watch Frozen because Olaf is such a minstrel show character that they like they can't deal with it and i feel like that might be a step too far because i know that i watched frozen and i did not think of olaf as like racially coded right uh i'm am <laughs> guessing that most people most people did not and oh, i don't really think if do you so asked well. if you would
2: like to build a snowman so there olaf <laughs> is being empowered by that by that general mo it's being pursued right um so man I mean, okay so so <laughs> but the other wc is different is what you're saying the other pieces well, that are in the yeah. game are of a different sort
1: so each each like stage has a different piano prelude, and um I recognize some but not all of them. I, I know like a lot of those pieces, but not all of them. The uh the one so like right when you get out of the garden, which is the garden is the one where you have the the minstrel show stuff, which kind of tells you, oh, this is a comedy. Uh you get this beautiful little fanfare as you're walking through like the puddle on the street. Boo doo 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 doo. That one is actually um Keyed to you walking through that hall. Like at the moment that you walk into that map, you always get that. And it's great because you get the sense of like, of opening up, right? You've been in this first constrained space. The garden is more constrained than most of the sets. It's got these right angle fences everywhere. Uh, and then once you you beat that first level and for the first time you get this, like the gate opening mechanic and the next level opens up and you get and that one is kind of like, um, I don't know, vaguely Celtic in character, uh, not as much of a comedy piece, much more lyrically beautiful um the I, I don't really know what the the one that plays under the uh the neighbors like you have the sort of the fussy neighbor and the uh the chaotic artist neighbor i don't know what that one is meant to be about um, it 's more sort of a magisterial in character it's, it, to me it fits the personality of the the stuffy neighbor who reads his newspaper and sips his tea very well and Then when you get to the pub, then you hear uh, one that is meant to be sort of sneaking around music it 's uh the interrupted serenade and this is like debussy 's spanish piece and it 's supposed to be some guy sneaking around under his girlfriend 's window trying to sing guitar to her, but he keeps like messing up and uh dropping the guitar and getting chased by a dog and stuff like that. So I guess like the, the broader perspective, what you were probably actually asking me, Pete, is that Debussy is famous for a, uh, a movement in music called Impressionism, which has sort of like two big tenets. One, there are no rules about what sounds are good and bad. You can uh, make any kind of crazy noise you want. And you can also borrow from popular and folk music traditions, which is where you get like the Minstrel Show stuff. Uh, and then the second is you use the music to try to depict things almost pictorially. So it works really, really nicely actually as like movie music because you have all of these events that are like what would it sound like if someone was playing the guitar and dropped his guitar right uh you put that into music and then you can put kind of any image in front of it and suddenly instead of being the guy dropped his guitar it will be uh Whatever just happened physically seemed to be caught by that musical gesture, and it sort of nicely syncs up with uh, with the action in the game in a way that more um, more groove oriented, more kind of like uh, more goal-oriented music, I suppose, probably wouldn't
2: interesting do you think that the joker movie has a similar sort of relationship with the music that's being played in it
1: <laughs> i'm guessing that they probably just play uh, like songs with clown in the title over and over again it's just like suicide squad style it's just a classic rock mixtape it's just like it's it's just insane clown posse over and over again <laughs>
3: just amazing focus, focus. okay, I got something on the on the music and how it relates to the overall aesthetic packaging of the game. um now, forgive me, Jordan. I had to like spend several minutes to pick up the shattered pieces of my mind that you blew uh, on account of the whole like you know minstrel minstrelsy uh, bit there that was amazing um but uh, I'm kind of i I gonna have to set that aside for a little bit to try to make some sense of it all um and it goes back to the English village setting, right, so the combination of the debussy, the French nineteenth century classical music and the orderly english town um i mean i think it's fair to say that all this is meant to evoke a certain sense of continental elegance in the setting right yeah, um, for and sure. it's, it's it's the graphics of it as well too right which evo- of, you know are evocative of the to mimic uh, british road signs um this whole thing i, I what is assumed that these are european developers right um, did Americans make this? If they did, that would really kind of blow my mind. But anyway, it's like, you know, this, Wait, is, this uh, is demonstrably not enough, America.
1: Ironically
2: um, enough, it's, it's Australian, believe it or not. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah,
1: which which really makes sense, right? It's like it's a big middle finger to the mother country there. Right? You know? <laughs> this is definitely an Australian person's idea of what England is like.
3: You think so? I I, I thought that this would have been like, you know, some uh, uh if I were British, like, I would have made this game as, like, so, some way to just, like, I don't know, like, uh, well, have uh, Son of the Shaun of the Dead kind of way, like, uh, uh, revel at this idea of this overly orderly society being torn asunder by this agent of chaos. I, I mean, mean I don't know. Where th- part part. Did I say Shaun of the Dead? No, I meant um, Hot Fuzz. Um right. It, 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 Hot fuzz is not a great analogy for like thematically what's going on in this, other than the fact that like there again is a very stuffy and orderly English village. Well, the one, the, one that
0: comes and, to my, the world's end is the one that comes to mind because the world's end is about how uh, antisocial behavior is defensible or even desirable under certain circumstances, especially under conditions of you know heavy repression.
1: No, but uh, but uh, Hot Fuzz has a model town that is like the, the climactic scene takes place in. And if I'm not wrong, there is a goose on the loose that ends up like popping up like a deus ex machina, right?
0: Oh, wow. You're right.
1: But I think to marks Mark's yeah. larger point that like there's this sort of this stuffy bucolic uh I don't know if it's really british, but it's a it's a particular image of Britishness that we've all absorbed that seems to be like that's that is the like thing that's up on the chopping block here destroying that is the the main kind of fun that you get to have,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. um right. it's like um. You know, I, yeah, maybe it's not British. I mean, Mark said continental elegance, and there is a sense in which it is just kind of like old world. You know what I mean? Like the sort of broadly European, and I suppose you could say that with their you know harmonious character, the uh, the people in the village exist in some kind of union, and uh, I guess that would make it a European. Uh, union, right? It and, is about uh, Brexit. <laughs> I mean, it's not... Yeah, not. cash it out.
3: Cash it out. Who's the goose? Is goose Boris Johnson? Uh,
0: no. The, the, well, no. Uh, yeah, the goose is like pre-Boris Johnson. The goose is like Nigel Farage and oh. Paul Nuttall's and like, uh, <laughs> you know, um, the the UKIPs, you know, uh, who are just um, who are sort of just... Uh, burning down, you know, burning it down for the lulls. Um, Yeah.
2: The continental versus English balance, the way that I understand it, uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that in the 18th century, you have the tradition of French gardens as sort of very formal and organized places and 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 the garden so the garden is is you know the kind of kept place and the the towns exist kind of in relationship to the gardens but you know all the trees are in a line everything is nicely framed the lake is a circle uh the geometries of things is very kind of perfected in the uh, kind of uh you know Golden age of, you know, Louise and Richelieu's and whatnots, you know, the age that brought us the Louvre in the cultural ascendancy of France prior to the revolution.
0: It's uh, topia. I mean, it's not a, like it's topiary. Yeah. It's like triangle right. trees and stuff. Yeah.
2: Like if you go to the Eiffel Tower now and you look to either side, the, all of the trees and bushes have been cut into cubes. Right. And everything is like, you know, nature has been forced into a geometry. And then the English garden as traditionally no, uh, thought of is a reaction to the French garden. That's that tries to incorporate a, a sort of it's it's a it, there's a contradiction in it because it's trying to incorporate more of a naturalness while at the same time creating a space that's controlled and beautiful and idealized. But it's like, oh, no, and everything isn't perfect. There's, you know, there's rolling hills and there's things that are hidden and there's little ruins. Uh, Tom Stoppard's Arcadia is kind of concerned with the English garden as a way of kind of trying to articulate what nature is uh, in opposition to what the physicists would be finding out later. Nature is, you know, different that's, from that. And you that's know?
0: so funny, Pete. I was thinking about Arcadia because, like, a plot point, I mean, I was thinking both about I think maybe the last garden that we should consider is the Garden of Eden, but that the right. i was thinking uh, about Arcadia because like one of the plot points in Arcadia is that they're ripping up the enlightenment garden to put in a romantic garden in its place you know and the how meticulously designed it is how the like you know ch- shambling grotto is being you know hand hand carved uh in painstaking detail you know and how the 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 arrangement of moss you know as though as though draped there for for centuries or millennia, right? Like, is being so um, so carefully uh, carefully considered, and this is like the idea the idea of chaos and like you know chaos theory, so called, which was big at the time that Tom Stoppard was writing it, and like the way in which we we uh, you know try to approximate it, like the aesthetic fascination it has without really truly an understanding of of. You know thermodynamics and what is involved. I was right. I had the I, same. I had I had the same uh, thought as you. And I mean to, to really, you know, I guess in this reading, the goose is a modernizer, right? And the goose is there to, um, you know, to sort of smash old uh, old Enlightenment ideas of you know what what is beauty, what is nature, you know, and and what is the good.
2: Right. Or the goose is the second law of thermodynamics, or sort of I mean, I guess it's sort of a, a Werner Goose Sog kind of situation where it's like the the village feels idyllic because the village has been built in the belief that it is in imitation and and sort of this sort of consonant perfective It's not perfect, but it's this sort of constant expression of nature where everything is harmonious and it's not supposed to feel too orderly. It's supposed to feel like a little bit chaotic in place to place, but only to a certain measure. And in that certain measure, it reflects this sort of cultivated ramshackleness, this sort of quaint, this sort of very precise quaintness, this uh, something that in, the, in America would be articulated in a kind of Martha Stewart setting, right? Where like, you don't make the bull out of steel, you make it out of wicker basket. But the wicker basket is just so, right? And, and the goose, by, by, by coming in and causing a bunch of chaos, is also a representative of nature, which has been misrepresented. That The village misrepresents what nature is really like, and the goose has come around to kind of honk the truth at everybody, which is that, like, you think that your orderliness is nature. No, this chaos is nature. And so, yeah, it's a modernizer, but it's also sort of like, a, like, a, like, a, like the gooses are coming home to roosters, uh, this, this, this sort of uh, hubris lesson, right? It's like the gods. It's kind of a Greek god coming into, like, foil modern man's attempts to uh, fully capture the world.
3: This is so good. It's, Say all that with a Werner herzog voice, please.
1: <laughs> oh, it's Werner uh, it's herzog it's also, it's also Robert Frost, right? Something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. That thing is a goose.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So for, for, for people think that the natural state of the lake is to be by the back gate of the house in a place where it's very predictable. But but in my filmmaking, I try to reflect that the natural place of the rake is in the lake. Uh, and all of our <laughs> rakes are in the lake. And the rake suspension, and the lake is space, and it is hostile to humanity and to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, uh, all, but we are all rakes in lakes.
1: <laughs> but I feel like there's, there's an interesting tension here, because there is the... Um, The kind of uh, German romantic Herzogian thing that the game is doing. But then it's also definitely a comedy game. And I feel like it's important for the comedy of it that you can't actually mess their lives up. You know, you uh, you can't like take all of the sunglasses, all of the sorry, not all the sunglasses, all of the glasses in the town and drop them down the well so such that the little boy has to stumble around without glasses forever. Uh, you you uh, you can't ruin the you yeah. know, the, the guy whose prize rose gets cut. He just ties the rose back on and then goes back to sitting and drinking tea because that's like the rest state of that particular uh, little agent uh, when it's not chasing you. Is not going to be just sitting there crying or something like that. Because if he did, well, that would be intolerable. I feel like part of what makes the game work is that the people are too dumb to recognize that you have wrecked their lives. like they're not just not like they're not programmed to to actually get upset. Uh, And if they did, then suddenly it wouldn't be fun anymore because then, you know, then there would be consequences. This is why when I was uh, when I was on Slack talking about the game, I I said that I sat down and started playing and I thought, oh, is this what it's like to be a goose? And then towards the end, I was like, oh, is this what it's like to be just a a sociopath? Because (laughs) I'm I'm doing all this horrible stuff to people and like. They they like go to sort of yell at me or yell at each other or cry or something like that and I don't hear anything like I'm not capable of really registering the misery that I've caused another person because of course I haven't uh, but this is sort of what you hear about sociopaths, is that, you know, if they'll do something horrible to you, and they want kind of the attention of you, for instance, chasing them, grabbing at the bell that you are that you are honking, honking and carrying out of their grip. But when they then try to confront you with, like, the damage that you've caused, they, like, you sort of, as a psychopath, you wouldn't hear that. You wouldn't be able to process it. It just sort of doesn't make sense to you. And uh, that seems to be sort of very oddly the experience that's been programmed Programmed for the goose, is that like it wants the attention, it wants to be chased, that's when you get to hear the beautiful piano music is when they're chasing you, but you're not really capable of causing them any actual harm, because you're in a universe where harm has been programmed not to exist and sort of being unable to recognize the harm that does happen which is more like the the real world psychopath version of that is pretty close to living like the experience of living in a world where harm doesn't really exist you know the bell you, you have that big stack of bells but they rebuild the tower in the model village and put another bell right back up in there and then they go right back to their uh, to their ordered lives you're not able to really remind them of what nature is
0: mm. If only it had a donkey. (laughs) Well, uh, I think we may leave leave it there. Uh, Some say the podcast will end in fire. Some say in honk. (laughs) Thanks very much for listening to us talk about the white-faced sociopath haunting America in Untitled Goose Game uh, to... Uh, Pete, to Mark, to Jordan, thank you for podcasting uh, with me on this. I feel like in I feel like in these moments, my status as a non gamer is more it be you know becomes apparent, and I feel uh, very insecure. I feel very inferior to your knowledge. Um, but I was glad to bear witness to that, and so to to uh, your conversation about the game. And thank you for uh, for podcasting about it. Um, hey, we'll be back with more Overthinking a podcast next week. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve. deserve.